0: Our scripture for today comes from Psalms 94, 1 and 2. Lord, avenging God, avenging God, show yourself. Rise up, judge of the earth. Pay back the arrogant, exactly what they deserve. The word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. Let us pr- Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've had general anesthesia twice in my life. Once was for um, my wisdom teeth. The other was I had a tumor in my ankle that had to be removed. Um, and they took all my cartilage. It was it's really annoying. Um, but it went completely underneath. And for a while I was interested. like, what is this word, anesthesia? It's an interesting word. Um, and so it comes from Greek, and it's actually it's the same root word as aesthetics, in which is you're like judging what is good or bad. It's like judging what is beautiful. Because it means judgment. Um, anesthesia is a lack of judgment. You give someone anesthesia so they won't judge whether or not they're in pain in a situation, um, whether or not they're hurt. There's one thing to to judge whether a painting is beautiful, another thing to judge whether the knife going into your your foot is, is hurting you at the moment, it's another to judge the eternal soul of people around you. All these fall under the language of judgment, and in the Apostles' Creed, after Christ ascends and sits with God the Father Almighty, we proclaim that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. My friends, we are continuing our series on the Apostles' Creed. I'm looking at this great doctrinal statement of faith to look at how the Creed reveals to us about what God shows through the Scriptures, about who God is, about how the world was created, about how we are in need, about how God saves us and what we should do about it. And today, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Judgment is not something people seek a lot unless you're a lawyer, um, then you might want to seek a, a judgment in a situation. But I don't know a situation in life when someone's like, uh, judgmental is a compliment that someone would make. Oh, you, will you know, you, you introduce your, your girlfriend to your parents for the first time. Oh, you'll love her. She's so judgmental. Um, <laughs> that's not really, <laughs> not really a positive quality. <laughs> it's like, oh, you'll love my parents. They're so judgmental. It'll be great. They're just going to tell you all the things wrong about you. You'll love it. And yet we claim in the creed that Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead. We also claim that we are saved by grace and not by works. How do we hold these two together? They seem in tension. There's judgment on one side and grace on the other side. But judgment is a major part of the Bible. You can't escape it. The coming of Christ in judgment is a major theme of the season of Advent. It's not one of the easiest themes to sell. It's not as cute as a, as a newborn baby or nice sheep, but it's a major aspect of Advent. It's also, judgment is, is found throughout the scriptures. As Richard read earlier from, from the Psalms, Lord, avenging God, avenging God, show yourself, rise up, judge the earth. Oftentimes in these psalms, it's when someone has been wronged greatly, they call on God the judge to judge their enemies, judge the people who have wronged them. Mary also calls on God as a judge. In her her great song from Luke 1, God has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the arrogant and the proud. He has pulled down the powerful From their thrones and lifted up the lowly. It's an act of judgment to judge people as as arrogant and proud and in need of scattering. The injustice of this world is not eternal. Judgment is the Lord's, though, and not ours. It doesn't matter whether we are on anesthesia or not, the pain and misery caused by people on earth will be judged. But not, not by us, but by a good judge who knows the hearts, knows the hearts of the people. The second meaning of Advent, the coming again of Jesus, is to conclude with this judgment. And it has been presented in many ways over the years with different predictions and different different theories that oftentimes fly in the face of the plain words of Jesus Christ, who says, you will not know the time or the hour, so stay awake. Stay awake. And sometimes Christianity is presented though as this kind of like hellish get out of jail free card. So you, 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 you do this one thing or you do this other thing and you have this card, you're, now you're a Christian, now you're saved, good job by you. But this is not biblical. This is not what scripture offers us of salvation. There, there are verses you can pick and choose to get this view of salvation, but in, in the Bible, it's a lot more holistic. Salvation is a life healed and sanctified and offered totally to God. It's not just a one-time thing. But in order to bridge the gap between salvation and judgment, we need a better understanding of grace, of what grace is doing, what God is doing through us. There are many kinds of grace. One of the first kinds of grace is called provenient grace. It's the grace that comes before. It's the grace that you realize that God is with you from before you are even aware of it, that God is with the people around you. God is with your children. God is with your neighbors, even when they do not know the name of the Lord. The Holy Spirit isn't just waiting around outside people's bodies like a a weird vampire waiting to be welcomed in. Um, The Holy Spirit is already within us. The only reason why anyone can call to God is because God is already present within them. Next, there's a justifying grace, a grace that takes away our sins, that makes us upright, the grace that that takes us from being curved inward, focused on ourselves to standing upright so that we can see as God sees and love as God loves. But our life doesn't end at that moment. Our life doesn't end at a conversion Experience. The Holy Spirit continues to work on our lives. The next grace is a sanctifying grace, a grace that makes us holy, that changes us continually into the people who we were originally created to be. It is the most amazing thing. We are cleansed by grace so that all the things in our life that are not love, all the, the actions of destruction, the desires of destruction, no longer need to have control over us. Through grace, Christ chooses us and offers us a chance to respond. And how we respond to grace is where the stakes of the matter come in. It's also where the judgment comes in and where we can talk more deliberately about sin. The way sin is often taught in churches as it's um, this, this kind of like set of lists And rules. It's different from how it's offered in scripture. We're also often taught this kind of list of rules to follow or not follow, kind of extrapolated from the Ten Commandments. Do this, don't do that. But the Ten Commandments aren't really super important to Jesus. It's one of those things that one of those oddities when you when you read the words of Jesus. He mentions it from time to time. Jesus never says, and make sure to follow the Ten Commandments um, in this kind of way. They're just not separate from the rest of the law. To Jesus and and the Jews of the first century, the law was all the first five books of Moses. It was every word from in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth all the way to the death of Moses. There wasn't a separation between certain verses, certain laws that were more important or less important than others. All of it is a way and a path to connect with God, that God has, has chosen this people and offered them a way to respond to God. And then Jesus offers us a summation of the law. What is is the most important one? He offers the Shema from Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And then he offers another from Leviticus 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. Later Christians continued to, to make lists, but Jesus does not. Sin is acting against the will of God. It's missing the mark. Hamartia means missing the mark. It is an archery term. It is, you know, you're, I'm trying to shoot the tree with a bow and arrow, and I, I hit the window, then I have sinned. I've missed the mark. There's a lot more opportunity to miss the mark than I actually hit it. You know, it's really hard to get the aim in that direction Right. Sin is acting against the will of God in our hearts or in our lives. Jesus doesn't replace the law. He makes it go deeper. It goes deeper than the words. Adultery is not just the discreet act of infidelity. It is, it is lust in your heart. Murder is not just the discreet act of taking the life of another. It is anger in your heart. The Sabbath, as well, is for God and for the things of God, And so it is not for refraining from love just because of those words. The Christ of judgment is not about looking at a set of discrete rules and seeing whether or not we've followed them. And thanks be to God, it's not, because we would all fall short. This is why Paul quotes from from the Psalms when he says, No one is good, no, not one. There is no pure position. To stand on. But this doesn't doesn't relativize sin. Sin is a greater problem than any list could ever address. And I think we should speak of, of sin and seek holiness, seek righteousness together, fully hold each other accountable for sin, and continually lift each other up in community. But we should also hold it under the guidance of what Jesus actually commands his disciples. To do, And the best approximation of what judgment looks like comes from this curious passage in Matthew 25. And it's not one of the sin lists in the rest of the Bible. It's, it is a parable that Jesus offers, that the Son of Man comes in his majesty and all the angels with him, and he will sit on his majestic throne and all the nations will gather before him And he will separate them from each other, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right side and the goats he will put on his left side. This is it. This is the judgment. This is what judgment looks like. Are we ready for this judgment? Then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who will receive good things from my father. Inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you from before the world began. I was hungry and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then those who are righteous will reply to him, Lord, when did we see you in this way? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked or imprisoned? And the king will reply to them, I assure you that when you have done it for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have done it for me. But the story doesn't end there. Most of the times when someone preaches on Matthew 25, they end it there. It's a nice, good ending. But, but Jesus doesn't end there. It's not comfortable to talk about the goats, but Jesus talks about the goats. Jesus talks about uncomfortable things. And there are goats that are not entering the presence of God. And they ask, why? Why aren't we included? He says, because I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was thirsty and you did not give me a drink. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was homeless and you did not house me. And when you did not do this to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And when we, my brothers and sisters, are focused on, so often, these discreet actions, we, we create idols apart from God's will in our life. We're lifting up an idol because we are moving away from totally following God's will and giving ourselves a false grace, saying that we are doing good enough instead of the true grace that only comes from the Father that only comes through Jesus Christ. And when the church is, is more concerned about these discrete things than about the reality of our brothers and sisters in this world, we are being idolatrous. When we are more concerned about what, what people wear and where people come from, we are being idolatrous and we're opening ourselves up for judgment and there are stakes involved here. As James, the apostle says, there will be no mercy and judgment for anyone who hasn't shown mercy. And I think in this, we are all guilty of sin and in need of repentance. And this does not mean that anything goes or it doesn't matter what you do by no means. Sin is inescapable apart from grace. Apart from grace. As Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not a pure position that we can stand on from which to cast judgment on others. This is why Jesus says, judge not, lest ye be judged, for the judgment you give will be the judgment you receive. And realizing that there are stakes involved in how we respond to God's call in our life, the judgment of Jesus Christ is not about looking at a card in our wallet to say whether or not we've checked off the boxes. And yet we need not fear judgment, but we should not take it lightly. Is your faith in your own judgment of what following God is, or is it in God's? Are you seeking to satisfy yourself or to satisfy God? Do you love me, Jesus says to his disciples the evening before he dies. They say, yes, Lord, we love you. Then feed my sheep. Do this in remembrance of me. In this season of Advent, as we prepare for the first coming and the second one, may we stay awake and seek ways of feeding Christ's sheep here and now. We wait by faith, by believing more in God than in ourselves and our own judgment, by loving our neighbors near and far in concrete ways, by committing ourselves, by sharing good news of Christ's love in the face of the darkness of this world by giving of ourselves and our resources, by praying, even when it is not convenient. May this church be a place where we sacrificially offer ourselves to others. As the letter of Hebrews says, don't forget to do good and share what you have because God is pleased with these kinds of sacrifices. May we leave judgment for Christ and then may we hold each other accountable for love beyond what is comfortable, which can only happen through grace. When we see others erring, may we hold them accountable out of love. May we receive holy rebuke and strive further to follow God. Because it's not about earning salvation, but responding and living into the salvation offered this day. You are already loved and forgiven. God has met you where you are, but God does not want you to stay there. You don't have to stay in the pit. God is offering you a way out into a life of love. Let us go there together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we await your coming with hopeful anticipation. Help us to be a people who believe more in you than in ourselves or what the world tells us to do. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.